Welcome to Magic is Real, the podcast where we focus on spiritual journeys, near-death experiences, and all things metaphysical and spiritual. If this podcast resonates with you, it would mean the world if you can like, subscribe, and share with like-minded friends. Thank you so much for being here with an open heart and mind. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Magic is Real. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Shannon. I am your host. I am a psychic medium and somebody who is very interested in the spirit world and near-death experiences, which is why I started this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very pleased to bring to you today Karen Thomas. She is a human being who had a an extraordinary uh, near-death experience, and we have so many things to talk about First of all, I'll just welcome you and thank you so much for showing up, Karen. It's so nice to have you here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. I wanted to start by asking about you because I know that your near-death experience happened when you were 32. So what was your life like before this? And you can start as early on as you want because I like to know who you are as a person and what type of spiritual beliefs did you have or not have? Were you raised religious or not religious? Anything that's pertinent to your life's journey, I'd love to hear about. Okay. Well, as it turns out, there are some fairly pertinent things. Um, When I was very little, I was only seven. um, I was with my mother and father in a fishing boat. Um, out on the St. Lawrence River. And my father, who I was just absolutely um, devoted to, loved very close, um, he had a massive heart attack and died. And that um, incident and that loss of him when I was so young um, really had an impact on me in terms of my, uh, I had a lack of self-worth because you know, at the time it happened, I was so little and I prayed, oh, I want him to live. Save him, God. And and he didn't. And so I felt like, you know, I guess I'm not good enough. And so that was something that impacted me most of my life and which led to me not long before I had my experience. Um, I, I wasn't really brought up religious um, at all. My family um, were Christian, but they were kind of the non-active Christian, except for Christmas and Easter and things like that. Um, So anyway, when I got to be an adult myself um, and still having these feelings that I had had my whole life, I thought, well, I need to find out more. And so I ended up being introduced to people who at that point in time there was a big movement of born again Christianity. And so that was what I was striving for because I thought that's what I'm missing. That's why I'm not worthwhile. So all of that was going on. And then my husband got an opportunity to move to Alaska for a job. And so we sold everything. My kids were um, only like eight and five at the time that we moved. Um, and established a whole new life there. And I was a physical therapist. So I worked in um, the major trauma center hospital in Anchorage. And my husband worked on oil field machinery repair. So that's how we happened to be where we were be 
where we were at the time that I ended up having my near-death experience. And I had it because I had injured my back. I had had a laminectomy on my back like five years before that. And then I was injured again. They were quite sure that it was another ruptured disc, but they weren't sure whether they'd have to do a laminectomy, which would have been okay. I had recovered from the first one fine or a fusion, which would be really challenging to continue being a physical therapist because there's a lot of heavy lifting and stuff. So I was forced, you know, I was looking at a surgery and uh, one that was real um, challenging. And so I contacted lots of people back where we came from and in the church that we had joined there and asked a lot of people to pray for me not to have the fusion, but you know, to have the easier surgery that I could then, re you know, continue my career. Right. Well, yeah, thank you. That was such a, I love the way that, I love that you have, you, you really understand what I was asking. I mean, and so, so does everyone when I ask them that question, but it's, it is so, I mean, just to imagine being a child and not only losing a parent that young, which is already just so traumatic, um, but actually being there and, and um, just, and, and the idea of when you're a kid, you think all I have to have been told if I pray, I just yeah. have to pray. And that's a lot of what we'll talk about, I'm sure is, or some of what we'll discuss as well as so many near death experiences, experiencers have had this, such a similar experience of being raised in religion. And mm -hmm. not that there's any, I have nothing against religion at all. I, I think, you know, it can serve people really well, but there's, it seems there's a lot more to it than that. And um, it's hard for a seven-year-old, much less than, a, I mean, an adult, much less a seven-year-old to really comprehend that. So I would love, uh, yeah, you can start wherever you want in terms of um, the near-death experience itself. How did all of this begin for you? Uh, well, it actually took place in the hospital when I was having the back surgery. Um, I had been brought down to the OR. Um, this was like about a year after we had moved to uh, Alaska. So that's, my kids were like nine and six. My husband and kids were with me and they came down beside my stretcher as far as they could go. And then I had to go into the OR and they were sent to a waiting room. And once I was in the OR and the operation started, um, I was, of course, on, you know, under anesthesia, so I, I was out. Um, but then suddenly during the surgery, I found my consciousness that I was literally out of my body and I was up like in a corner of this operating room and up near the ceiling and hearing this ruckus going on in the room and hearing the, the surgeon swearing and uh, at a nurse and saying we need more blood and, and a nurse rushing out. And, and uh, as I turned to see what was going on, they had turned my body from face down to face up. And I realized that was my body. And so I, I realized I must be dead. I felt disconnected from my body really that, you know, that wasn't important. It was strange to see it in 3D instead of just, you know, like you always see yourself in a mirror. But my big concern was, oh, my husband and kids are in a waiting room. 
somehow I got to get to them. And as soon as I thought that, I was able to, uh, my consciousness literally drifted out through a wall and into the hot, you know, hallway. I had been brought down and all the way to the end of the OR suite and out into a hallway in the hospital and was going where I thought the, you know, the waiting room must be. And suddenly I ha had heard this telepathic voice in my mind saying, pay attention to this man and realized that there was a man just dressed regular clothes um, that was rushing back toward where I had just come from. And at that instant, I was able to hear his thoughts. And he was thinking, I've got to get in there fast. And as I heard him thinking that, I heard another man down closer to the double doors, his thoughts. And his thoughts were, what's that guy think he's doing? He can't go in the OR suite, you know? And so I'm picking up both of these thoughts and the guy that I was told to pay attention to, I could see like, a, like I could zoom in on and saw his eye color and hair color and clothing and everything up close. And he paused for a little bit and then uh, automatic doors opened and he rushed in to the OR suite. And then my thoughts turned immediately back to getting to that waiting room and began to, to drift again in, in the direction I had started. But suddenly, I was no longer controlling the direction that I was moving. And I was literally being drawn instead. And I was being drawn upward and went through the ceiling of the floor I had been in and through the following floor and all the way out through, eventually through the whole roof of the hospital and up into the sky. And then began moving real rapidly um, kind of horizontally instead of upward and out over the city of Anchorage itself. And as I got to the water's edge, there was like a large, dark, very black opening that seemed to open up. And I was drawn inside that and then was drawn really fast, so much faster once I was inside there. And the only thing I could see besides the darkness was a little tiny hint of a prick of a light way off in the distance. And the faster I moved, the bigger the light became until I literally burst out into this light. And once I did, the, the scenery was totally different than Anchorage, Alaska. And in fact, it, it startled me and because it was very dry and barren and rocky, um, brown, and I'm thinking, well, if I'm dead, well, how come I'm not in heaven? And this certainly doesn't look like heaven. You know? And then I also heard another telepathic voice, and it was off to my left. And this voice said, follow me. And as I looked in that direction, there was a man who was climbing up a slope out of this kind of lower plateau area that I had come out into. And when he said that, I was like immediately behind him. And so I was looking at him from behind and taking in everything very carefully. And his hair was almost black and pulled back and tied with a leather tie. And Clothing-wise, he just had like this rough off-white cloth material 
and it was only like mid-thigh length, had a, another leather tie like around his waist. And then uh, on his feet, he had sandals, but the sandals had crisscross ties that went across his calves and tied below his knees. And so again, I'm thinking because of all my Bible studies that I had done, um, that this didn't appear to be Jesus. And I couldn't imagine who, who was I following? Who was this? And so went up and over the edge of this slope and the entire landscape changed. And suddenly it was lush and green and filled with all kinds of beautiful wildflowers in a like a meadow type of a thing and everything was filled with that same light that I had burst into and all, all the grass all the flowers everything was lit from within and emanating out the light and I as I was kind of taking this in taking in how beautiful the trees were how they were letting off light um the the man that I you know had said follow me and I started to call him my guide, um, had gone on ahead and he again spoke and said, you know, telepathically follow me. And I was immediately behind him again. And now he was on the bank of a river. And this water was unlike any water I've ever seen before in that it, it was alive too. It was like everything was alive. And lit from within, glistening and like diamonds. And across this river to the other bank, I, I suddenly saw um, my dad who had died when I was seven and uh, my brother who'd been killed in a car accident and aunts and, and, and cousins, different family members who had died and four people that I didn't recognize them by sight, but I just knew. I, I Internally, I knew they were my four grandparents that had all died before I was born. And they were just so happy to see me. And it was like, oh my gosh, she's here. Isn't it wonderful? You know, and it was like, oh, it was a big family reunion and I just couldn't wait to get to them. And my guide spoke again and he said, you can't go now, we have somewhere else you have to go first. And because I'm still not directing where I can move, I was drawn to follow him. And he went down and continued along the bank of this river and around a curve in the river. And after the curve in the river, there was a big, huge opening. Um, and in the center of it was this beautiful, building that was, I call it pearlescent white because it was just glowing like everything else, but, but so brightly white and glistening and looked kind of like Roman or Greek architecture because it had these huge pillars out in front and a, a, a big, long, um, high number of stairs, you know, wide like marbly looking stairs going up to it and and then big like 
opening doors and my guide had gone up to them and again said, follow me. So inside the doors, this building became like a, a, an enormous library. And on either side and up as far as I could see, I could see no ceiling to this at all. Once I was inside, it just continued up for stories and stories. And all along the sides were books and scrolls and all the way down through the center were um, tables that were going like horizontally across this huge long you know, entryway area of this library. And there were spiritual beings who were sitting at the tables, others standing and walking in between. And my guide said to me, this is where the books of life are stored. And, but he said, but we're not staying here. You know, we're, we're going to somewhere else. So I followed him the whole length of this entire huge place and down into an, another hallway at the back, the far back end, and then down a short ways in a hallway and then into another door. And inside there was like an, a, a huge oval uh, table, like a conference table type of thing. And all a, a number of spiritual beings were sitting around this table like they were waiting for us to come in. And I felt as though they all knew me and I should know them, but I didn't, you know, but I knew that somehow I, I had the feeling that they had helped me plan my life before I was even born. And they were there with me and with my guide. And my guide said, we're going to look at your life up until this time. And at that point, after saying that, this center area of what looked like a table although it had been clear, like almost like a glass bottom boat, it had been clear in, in the center of this table. But once he said that, it was as though a hologram raised up out of that clear area. And it was all of the events of my life from the time I was born up until then. And I got to not just see it, but to live it again. And then to also be the other person I was interacting with so that I was seeing things where I had done nice things and good things and how how wonderful that made the other person feel um, and then other times when maybe I was mean or or rude and or hurt someone else and how that made them feel so I was feeling both being me and being them and it was it was just amazing I I felt so bad for things that I should have done better, but everybody who was there and with me were just being encouraging and loving. And there was no sense of, of judgment at all. It was all, this is, this is okay. This is what your experiences are for and your understanding now. And, and that's important, that's good. You know, so there was, that's how it was. And then they said, you know, you can stay here or you can return to your life. So if you do decide to return to your life, we want to show you things that, first of all, definitely will happen. And then other things that may or may not happen, depending on the free will of people that you'll be interacting with. And they can choose something 
different than what we're showing you. And that's okay, because everyone has free will. So then they proceeded to do that. Um, and then I know something else happened, but I don't remember what, um, because there's a blank between being there and being shown that about, you know, if I return to my life. And then suddenly I'm in a totally different room and I'm still with my guide. And he says, I want to show you off to this way, off to my right, I want to show you the prayers of the people that are praying for you. And when I looked, I, what I saw was like musical notes like you'd see on a score of music, only instead of horizontally across a piece of paper, they were individually and coming upward closer and closer to where we were. And my guide said, every prayer has its own unique vibration. And I didn't hear any sound. I wasn't hearing music or, or vibration, but I, that was how it was visually represented to me. And then he said, now I want to show you the operating room, waiting room, or the operating area and the waiting room that your husband and kids are in. And so off to my left, it was as though there were no ceiling on the room that they were in. And I was able to see my kids back near a little couch and my husband up near a doorway talking to the surgeon who had been operating on my back. And when my guide showed me this, it, he also indicated to me that my daughter was praying that I would live because she was, it had been way past when they were supposed to be done with this surgery. And when the doctor came and was talking to my husband, she assumed that I must have died. And so she, you know, was praying that I would live. And so when she did, it was as though it was the last prayer hooking onto the other prayers. And my guide then allowed me to feel all of the emotion of being um, myself, uh, Karen, the, the wife, the mother. Um, and I realized you know, that I had to make the choice to go back to my life, that I didn't want my kids to grow up without a mother like I'd grown up without a father. And so when I made that decision, my guide said to me, um, you'll be able to remember all of this that you that is so important, but you won't be able to remember things about your future, because if you did, it would change what you decide to do and your your free will must remain free and it can't if you remember those things and then he said but you will be given proof that this actually took place um, and then that's the last thing I remember until I don't remember a return trip to my body going back into my body any of that I just remember waking up in a recovery room with my husband and kids there and my consciousness that was operating through my body was completely confused and befuddled and anesthetized still coming out of anesthesia, so much so that I, I didn't remember that I was, had had back surgery. And I thought because of my big bloated stomach that I must have had a baby. 
And I, I think I said it actually to my husband, but I thought it, I know that much for sure. And then, but at the same time, what I now have called my spiritual consciousness completely was remembering what had just taken place with my near-death experience. And not only that, but I was completely full of all the love and peace and bliss that I had felt as I was going through my near-death experience and was so full of it and that it felt like it surrounded me like a protective bubble. And that made me just, I just knew this really, this really had happened to me. And, um, and then as I was recovering, I was there for 12 days. As I was recovering, I found out by a doctor coming in to follow up with me and me looking at this doctor, I realized that he was the person that I had seen initially after leaving my body that I was told to pay attention to. And, and I realized it was the same person. So after I was discharged and had been home and had to have staples removed and everything, I made up my mind that when I had that visit, I was going to tell this doctor who, who had been really kind to me and had saved my life um, what I had seen that day as far as him arriving. And, you know, so I did that. I told him, you know, I saw you and this is what you were wearing and this is what you did. This is what you were thinking. And am I right? Is this actually what took place? And his response to me was, how could you know that? Um, the reason I was in regular clothes, I was in my office. I was seeing patients and I had to be paged to come to the hospital to do a surgery to try to save your life. And so that was the proof that my guide had mentioned to me. And that was my experience. Okay, Karen, that was and is one of the most detailed near-death experiences I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot of them. And mm -hmm. the ones that I've ha heard that have been as detailed all feature, I don't want to say exactly the same because everyone's experience is unique. Oh, yeah. But the themes and the experiences and sort of the order of things, even though it's never in a particular order, it doesn't seem... It's like the movie Defending Your Life. And it, it always makes me wonder who were these, how do these writers know? Like, um, it's a wonderful life and defending your life with mm -hmm. Albert Brooks. And what knowledge do these people have of, of near-death experiences? They must have. One of the things that really struck me is that uh, when you said every prayer has a unique vibration, it's so interesting because you talked about when you're a child praying and you're just like, it, you just hope that that prayer will save your father. Nice. And as we know, and I'd love to hear your take on this, we have free will and, and there are things that happen in this life where we do have control over. And then there are some things that happen that we don't have control over because of what I understand to be a soul path. I want to hear your thoughts on it. Clearly it was your father's time to exit. Um, and so I just would love to hear more about your thoughts about prayer, because I do believe that there's power in prayer. I don't, I always pray, even if this person can't live, just show the loved ones 
help them find peace, help them feel the love of their loved ones, help them see signs, help them know that you're there. Just, I can't, I never pray, please let this person, I mean, I do say, please let them live, but if, and I always say, but if that's not what's meant to be, right? I just Thank pray you. for their well being. So what's your thought on that, on, on the, I guess the power of prayer, anything you want to address about that? Uh, you describe very much what I've come to believe myself. And that is, you know, definitely there is great power in prayer and that that it is meant to basically do what we're all supposed to do while we're here, which is to send love toward other people that are in a situation where they desperately need that love. And whether the actual things specifically asked for is granted by God, it's still the love that you send is going to then be filtered and used in the way that's that's most needed in the circumstances. That's so well said, because I think of uh, a prayer. Sometimes I just had the thought of it being a petition, like a group petition to God, like, please, we're all signing this petition. We want this person to stay. You stayed. You know, I don't I don't know what you think about this. It's not necessarily the prayers that brought you back. It's your choice. You said you were given that cho you know, choice. And you also, you had children to come back to, and you didn't want them to, to grow up without a father, without a parent, the way that you yeah. did, and to have to live with that grief. And I notice not everybody has that, is given that choice when they cross over. And um, I don't know, can you just speak to that? Do you think it's because it was the sole contract, or what do you think's going on there? Um, I do think um, that it's the sole contract, and I do believe in sole contracts as well, and planning your life. And I feel that there are certain um, events that are, are, are very definite. You know, they are a solid part of that soul contract. But other things are experiences that we're to have, um, growth opportunities spiritually that we're to have. And if they don't happen in one particular circumstance um, because of someone else's choice, free will choice, then they'll happen, then it'll be a different circumstance that'll come around yeah. that will still bring that, that learning and growth opportunity. Um, so yeah, I do feel that. And it's interesting because about my father, um, it really took a long time for me to come to kind of understand his soul contract and, and his, his dying at that time being, you know, a solid thing in his soul contract and I realized that um, because my life changed radically after he died my mother and I lost the home that we were that my dad had been buying um, my mom had never worked outside the home or even knew how to drive a car so we ended up um, I had a sister who was 20 years older than me and she was unmarried and she decided to take us in. Well, this sister um, was a teacher, a fourth grade teacher. And she happened to be the only one of my siblings or my parents who ever even graduated from high school. So my life path was a whole lot different having moved and lived with her and basically ended up continuing to be brought up by her. Um, and 
So I ended up going to college. I ended up becoming a physical therapist. Things that happened in my life that had my father lived probably, no doubt, would not have taken place. And yet they were meant to be part of my soul contract and my life plan. So there was a good solid reason for that having been part of both my father's and my plan. Right. Yeah. And also another thing I think about when I hear stories like yours, you talked about these, the Akashic records is what they call Mm -hmm. them, the libraries, the books. And it's funny that we think of, we humans tend to think of, it's all just stars and space and heavens, clouds, but really people describe the other side as very much like our, our world. And I was wondering as you were speaking about it, you know, are, is our world, I, w- I would assume our world is a reflection of, I want to say their world, but it's really our world, our, our, our other world um, that we're sort of, you know, it's like they say we're made in God's image. And I think that's not literal, like God isn't, a, doesn't look like a person, but, but just we're, it's that idea of it being a reflection and the things that we build and the way that our world looks only on the other side, it's even more vivid. What do you think about that just generally? If you have any thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's a lot of people think and, and I experienced it's more real than the real that we consider real here. And I think it's also um, kind of a format that earthly reality has has reflected from it. So I think a lot of things, including inventions and beautiful pieces of music and things like that, that they are things that are on the other side and then are channeled, I guess you could say, in a way through specific people here on earth and then created here as a reflection of of there. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you. And even just what we're doing right now, the fact that we can telecommute it's really, is something that's very, uh, back when I was a kid, we would have thought was, it was like something out of Star Trek. And right. now it's all these things that we can actually do now. Um, and they're talking about AI being able to read our minds by studying our brainwaves and, and patterning and, and stuff like that, which is, but, but on the other side, we communicate telepathically. And when I communicate with spirit, I receive the information telepathically. They're not speaking to me in words. It's all through osmosis, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Ever since, and I want to hear about your life, your your life after this. Um, I know it's been some time since you had this experience. It sounds to me as if it was it it feels as real as when you experienced it back then. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah, it, it's different than than anything that we consider like a regular memory. Yeah. Um, or even like some people I know, they say, well, these near-death experiences are hallucinations, you know, um, but it's definitely not hallucination or like a regular memory. Um, I literally, when I share it with somebody, uh, I'm, I'm re-experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I re-experience something, it's like when you experience something this morning, and somebody said to you, well, what did you have for breakfast? What did you eat? What did you do after breakfast? You know, you can relate that easily, quickly, and fluidly. And even though this is over 40 years ago now, 
to me, it's just as much re-experienced and right there and immediate as it was back when it happened. So that's, that's something that's very unique about it, I think. Yeah. And my sister and I were speaking about this yesterday for another weird reason. We were, we were, we were discussing, this is different, but we were discussing schizophrenia and we were saying, you know, we say, oh no, this person's having hallucinations. And we said, but why do they all have the same hallucinations? <laughs> like, you know, they, like, cause somebody that we know of is, is unfortunately very, very ill, not that we know of, not close to us. And it's discussions of aliens and, you know, taking over my body and the government and stuff. And we were like, what if this whole time everyone's kind of saying, oh, that poor person, you know, they, they're having hallucinations. I'm like, what if this stuff is actually happening to them? And I said, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying it reminds me a bit of um, so many people. And I said, I think we just came up with a conspiracy theory. I was like, maybe aliens are are finding these people that have this thing going on with their brains. And they're like, oh, we can infiltrate. I said, for all we know. And we were, we were kidding, yeah. not kidding, but sort of we weren't, we weren't, but we're like, it, we're open to that possibility that schizophrenics are really just receiving information. Although personally, I don't believe that spirit would tell us scary things, um, but I don't know. So they brought yeah. up the idea and I said, it's similar with near-death experiences that so many people say, well, it's a hallucination that happens because of endorphins, because the brain is releasing chemicals. Well, the thing about it is why do you all have the same hallucination? Essentially, mm -hmm. obviously there, there are some differences, but what you just said, yours is, the, yours is a textbook. Mm -hmm. I can tell it comes from your heart. You didn't recite this. You didn't, you're not, you didn't pick this up in some book and you're reciting it. The way that you were able to say, to tell me the story. So in such detail, if I tell you a story from 30 years ago, I'm going to say, I went into this room. I think it was a room. I can't really remember. They said something to me about this, but it wouldn't be so every detail the same every single time. So yeah. I'd also love to hear your thoughts on that because in my mind, I, I always say, but why is everyone having the same hallucination then and the same messages? Why is that? Why would the brain, how could that be? Yeah, I agree. Um, I've said before that the hospital I had that surgery in was the same one where I worked as a physical therapist. And um, since we, we left like within a year after this all happened to me and have never been back, okay? So I've said, you know, if I were to go back there now, I would not even remember how to go inside that hospital to get to the department that I worked in. Yeah. I, I don't remember that much detail about it all this much longer, you know, since then. And, but, but my near death experience is all of it is still just as clear as when it happened. So it's not, it's not like a memory at all. Um, and you actually have, you had told me Another thing that happens is that when people leave their body, they're able to report back to the doctors, I saw you doing this. You saw the doctor cursing. And he's like, how would you know that? Well, you had even more validation of that. Was it recently, recently? Or no, no. Um, it was um, after I got out of the hospital and after I had actually talked to the doctor that who did the surgery and saved my life, um, I... During the surgery, they 
they encountered that I had endometriosis. And I haven't really shared this before, but um, I had to go to, to see an OBGYN guy because I was 32. They were concerned about, you know, I needed, to, this was something I should get care for. And so this was a matter of, I don't know, maybe weeks after I was home from the hospital after this whole incident happened. And so I, this guy who was the, the OBGYN doctor was doing an exam on me, of course. And he said, oh, wow, what happened to you? Because I had had the staples removed. I had the second surgery that was done, they opened up my abdomen from my um, breastbone to my pubic bone. So my whole front of me had had staples in it. And of course, that it was pretty pronounced for this doctor to see. And so he said, what happened? And so I told him, you know, I was supposed to be getting this back surgery. I had, you know, there was this accident that my major artery was cut and I bled out on the operating room table. And, and he stopped me and he said, oh, that was you? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, well, he said, I was operating in one of the OR in that operating suite that when that happened, and of course, everybody knew that this incident had happened, all the other doctors, you know, and he said, I, I was up doing my operation, but he said, man, I can tell you the air was blue in that other operating room because they were just frantic. And so the phrase that he used of the air was blue in there, that said to me, oh, I was right about seeing the surgeon swearing. Yeah. You know, when I immediately came out of my body. So that was another validation. And that's another thing also that shows that these are not hallucinations because there are things, or at least in my case, there are things that were verified that I was right you know, about what I had seen while I was out of my body. Right. And also, I just wanted to comment on you are not the, you are definitely not the only person who has left your body while you're being operated on and been able to read the thoughts of the people. Like, I don't know if you did with your family, but people can, uh, you can sort of transport to your, like Anita Morjani in uh, her in her book, Dying to Be Me, she talks about, and also in all her lectures, she talks about seeing, I think it was her brother getting off the plane and every being able to remote, sort of remote view and be with everyone and see what mm -hmm. they were thinking and how they were feeling, which really does show you that we're all one and we're all connected and that we do communicate telepathically. Um, but it also, I, I think it's, I think it's also a really comforting thing. I, I hoped that for people to hear that when their loved one is in the hospital and maybe they are dying or maybe they're in a coma or whatever the case may be, that pro most likely their loved one is actually just right there going, I'm here. I'm, I'm fine. Um, yeah. And it's so hard because everyone's wailing and upset, obviously, and they still have every right to feel that way. But um, it's just interesting that so likely, like there's a, a likelihood that that person is actually very much alive and stand right there viewing all of it. And they're actually comforting you, you know, while yeah. you're there, they're there. 
while you're wanting to comfort them, they're comforting you. There's another thing you brought up uh, to me before we started recording that I wanted to hear about, about your guides. Oh, yes. Well, for a long time after my experience, you know, I just kept saying to myself, who was, who was my guide? You know, yeah. you know, what, why did I have somebody, you know, was he an angel? Was he what, you know, I, I didn't know. Um, I just knew in my heart that it, it wasn't Jesus, but, but that he still, he felt like he cared deeply about me, that I should know him. So I, as I began to study and learn more about near-death experiences, because I was trying to understand all of what had happened to me, um, I came across the, the concept of meditation. And I, so I learned how to meditate. And when I did learn how to meditate, um, I began to, on occasion, as I was meditating, be able to see my my guide over again and see him as he was dressed, you know, as as he was in the near-death experience. And most of the time I would just kind of get a general um, feeling from him about something that might be coming up, you know, that, you know, this is okay, you know, this is gonna happen and you'll be fine and this will, you know, I'm with you and I'm, yeah, just those kinds of feelings, but not like a direct conversation type of thing. And, but still, I got to know him and think of him as my guide. And over the years, and finally many, many years later, I have begun to do things like go to conferences to learn more about consciousness and to learn more about um, lots of things, you know, like mediumship and and other things. And uh, right before I was going to this one conference, I was in meditation. And this time when my guide um, appeared to me, um, he actually communicated something very specific. And what he said in this meditation was, we lived together thousands of years ago in South America. And then he said, my name is Carlos. And I had gotten to the point now where when I did meditations, I kept a journal by me. And when there was anything really that I felt important in, in a meditation, I would grab it, I'd write it down so that I didn't lose it afterward. So anyway, I wrote that down and it just seemed really important to me. And at that consciousness conference, um, in between sessions, people would go and they'd have snacks and talk and chat and everything. And after this one session, um, I couldn't help but notice there was a woman off to one side and there were three or four people that were gathered around her. And so I just felt drawn to go over and listen to what she was talking about. And she was describing having just come back from South America, where she had been teaching people who were native to the area how to do healing touch. And she said that while there, she had also gone to, to some sacred sites. And, you know, that um, she said that one young man who 
was very good and natural at the healing touch that he had been a great help because uh, a ride had fallen through to go to the sacred site. And he offered to drive her and he took her to the sacred site. And she said, you know, you know, he was just so wonderful. And all the time she's saying this, I'm just feeling all of this tingling inside and, and just that this is so important, you know. And then she finished saying that. And she said, in fact, she said, I've invited Carlos to come to my holistic center next week. So as soon as she said the name Carlos, all of it just fell into yeah. place for me. And I literally was in tears. And because when I had initially had the meditation, I thought, wait a minute, thousands of years ago, there was no Carloses living in South America because they, the Spaniards hadn't come yet. So it, the pieces hadn't made sense at the time that I, I wrote down after the meditation, but this really made sense. And so I told her I'd had the near-death experience. I told her it was 30 some years ago. I told her all of it. And she said, oh, she said, that's amazing. She said, let me show you the, the sacred site that we went to. So she brought up on her phone and in the picture was a perfect representation of where I had come out into the light when I had come out of the tunnel and I was in this dry, arid, brown, rocky place. Um, that's exactly what she was showing me. And she said, this place is called Caral Supe and that's spelled C-A-R-A-L and then a separate word S-U-P-E. And she said, it's um, supposedly the oldest civilization in all of South America. And she said, thousands of years old. And <laughs> so then she said, well, let me show you. I, I was, I've got a picture on my phone of Carlos. So she brought up the picture and the picture was like identical to my guide, but in modern clothes. Yeah. And so anyway, I got to meet him at wow. her holistic center and um, it led me to find out through a book called Journey of Souls mm -hmm. um, about guides and about reincarnations. And in this, his second book, Destiny of Souls, Michael Newton wrote that on occasion, guides will incarnate in the same lifetime as someone that, that they are guiding. But the way that happens is that everyone who incarnates onto earth always leaves a percentage of their essence on the other side. And so they can be in the same lifetime. You know, and some in the book, he said, sometimes they never meet each other, but they're still living in that same lifespan. Other times they meet just very casually and incidentally, and other times they're they're fairly important in in that person's life so wow um, that makes that's I had chills uh, for some reason when for some reason when I get spirit tingles it's always on my right side I don't know why that is maybe it's just the way my brain is mm -hmm. but I felt as you were telling me that story definite confirmation of that 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 feels so true yeah and so right and that thank you for sharing that story that's so incredible and now I want to 
go to that place. I don't know why. I just feel, feel like that sounds well, really. Well, yeah. look up Peral Supe on, online. I'm going to see what it looks like. But, but yeah, one thing that I learned from that, that so many times when people talk about reincarnation, for example, they'll say, oh no, what if I, I reincarnate and, and my beloved person has mm -hmm. already you know, they've reincarnated and they're not on the other side when I, that never, that's not how it works possible because that essence, that portion of the essence is always there mm -hmm. always. And yeah. so there's no chance that you would die. And those people that are the most beloved to you would not be there and be, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. In fact, I've said this, people might've heard me say this. So I apologize if it's if it's like a broken record, but I talk about how in one of my teachers, Monica, the medium writes in her book that there's a Clementine fruit, which is an orange essentially, and it's a higher soul. And then it has little pieces of fruit. And so each piece of the fruit is a part of a higher soul. So you're, you'll be Karen, but you can also be somebody else. And also what I've continually heard and, and what I've grown to believe is that all of the the reincarnation doesn't happen sequentially because there's no time on the other side. So right now I'm also living my other lives all at the same time, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's just that in our, our sense of reality, it's all linear. And so it's like, we think, okay, I'm going to die. And then I'm going, then I'm going to become someone else. And then that person will die. And then they become someone else. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you're still Karen. That's why as a medium, I can communicate with you even after you've left your body. And yet Karen is also somebody in South America in a different, what we would call a different century or a different year, but it's actually all happening all at the same time. So we don't end seize being who we are. And I, there are people that have fear of that. I think one of my listeners said, I have this fear of I won't be me anymore. And I said, no, you'll still be you. And you'll still be part of this greater, best Yep. Expanse at the same I, time. I honestly believe that people have the ability to um, reincarnate into a, into the past as opposed what we would consider the past as yeah. opposed to, you know, future. So when we talk in terms of past life, um, we're talking in terms of that linear time. And so we're talking in terms of time frame, you know, that we see as back there and already over with. But, um, but no, I, I think people can reincarnate into a life that we would see as past. They can reincarnate into a, a life that we would see as future and that they can reincarnate into an alternate reality realm that would be maybe even concurrent time frame to what we're thinking. So lots of different infinite possibilities. Yeah. Has this, how has this experience changed the way that you go through life or that you have for the last 30, 40, 30, 40 years, 40 years, 40 years yeah. now? Yeah. Um, how, um, yeah. It, it's changed things completely um, in that, well, in terms of my, my self-worth that was so low prior to that, um, that I honestly really feel given how, how much unconditional love I experienced during my near-death experience, I, I knew I gained 
knowledge of the value, the true value of myself um, to our creator. And so that made a big, a very big difference. Um, I worried at the time because I, at the time it took place, I had been very into born again concepts and born again concepts. I worried that my father who hadn't been born again and my brother who hadn't been born again, that they were not possibly going to be able to be in the afterlife mm -hmm. at all. And if they weren't, did I want to be? And, you know, just very fearful and conflicting feelings. And those all disappeared. So, yeah. so much about how I live my life has been different since then. That's wonderful. And what what is it that you'd like people to know? Oh, just that, that they should honor and value who they are and really truly respect uh, what an amazing human being they are and to realize how important compassion and love is because we're all interacting with, in some ways, different aspects of our own selves. Um, and so, you know, if, if you would not want someone to be cruel or violent to you, then certainly don't ever act in that fashion with someone else, you know, because it's, in many ways, we're all one. And we're all here to expand our own abilities to be compassionate and loving. Thank you, Karen Thomas, so much for showing up and for just bringing such a warm energy. And uh, everything you said resonated with me, and I know it will with so many others. And it just means the world that all, all of all of my guests, everyone who shows up, who's who's done this numerous times, come onto podcasts, come in to speak just because we care about, you know, that, that we don't do this for, you know, to, to make a living. We do this because we want, and I'm not a near-death experiencer. When I say we, I mean, all of us who yeah. put this stuff forward is because we want to, to share this message of hope and inspiration. And, um, sh and I'm sure, and I'm, I hear that all the time that it's important to you too. So it really means the world just to sh that for you showing up and being part of this. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, I thank you so much too. It was a joy getting to meet you. You too. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and mind for your likes, subscribes, leaving comments below and sharing with like-minded friends. Your support means the world and I could not do this without you.